Good morning. It is Friday, October 12th, and this is Chickie Fitzgerald with the Executive Girlfriends Group. We have a very, very interesting show for you today, and our guest is author Martha Heller, and Martha has written a a book called The CIO Paradox, and it's all about the contradictions uh, that, that face people in technical leadership positions. Martha, welcome. Thank you. It's very nice to be here. Martha, why don't you start out by just giving us uh, your your background? So, so what led you into the field of technology, and uh, you know, into a role where you are serving technical leaders, and and now having written about it? Th- uh, thanks for that question. You know, I'm actually a very sort of strange uh, member of the technology technology community in that I started off in journalism. I mean, for me, it's all about arts and letters and English and <laughs> edit, ed, editing and writing. Uh, I, years ago, was a journalist for some different technology magazines, and then in 1999, I joined CIO Magazine, and I <clears throat> was really attracted to the role of the CIO because it is faced with so many contradictions that I used to say that CIOs are an embattled lot. They're kind of <laughs> damned if they do and damned if they don't. And I thought, boy, if there's a nut to crack there through journalism, I think I've found it. So it was really through journalism uh, and publishing and that whole vocation that led me to the role of the technology leader. Great. And so why don't you tell us who the book is written for? If if I'm not a, a CIO, should I just turn the radio show off now? <laughs> no, don't turn the radio show off, by all means. <laughs> Um, You know, while certainly much of the responsibility for good technology delivery for our uh, Fortune 500 companies rests on the shoulders of CIOs, a main uh, uh, motif of the book is that it is the other executives, the so-called customers of these technology services, the vice presidents of operations, of marketing, of sales, of finance. They play a critical role in doing their part to make IT a success. And even though when IT uh, uh, projects go over deadline and over budget, as they so often do, even though we can point a finger at the CIO and say to the CIO, uh, you know, you really need to get on your game, we can also to look to the rest of the executive committee and say, listen, it behooves you to make sure your company is getting the most bang for the buck uh, when it comes to technology investments. What are you doing? Are you doing your part? So for Uh, you know, CXOs, if you will, heads of ops, heads of sales, heads of finance, for them to take a look at the book and really understand the contradictions facing IT leadership, that will benefit them, it will benefit their roles, it will benefit their CIOs, and of course it will benefit their companies. I'd like you to do a little myth-busting for me here. I I had an epiphany a couple of years ago. Um, I was an entrepreneur starting up a new company. We had gotten a, a big chunk of funding, and I, I am very much the CEO type. I'm the long-term visionary, you know, great with working uh, with boards of directors and raising money and all of those things that are necessary to move a business forward. And I hired a guy to be my COO. And the whole time he was in that role, he was aspiring to be the CEO. And it Mm -hmm. occurred to me when I started looking at the technology roles within companies that the same kind of thing may exist between the CTO and the CIO. Can you give us a little bit of insight of the difference 
of those roles because it isn't necessarily the same person being promoted. It's actually a different type of role. It really is, and I would say that CTO position is probably the most ill-defined role in the executive suite, and in fact, it can mean two thoroughly diametrically opposed uh, roles depending on companies. So let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, in, uh, uh, you know, there is somebody in the IT organization who reports to the CIO, and that person runs infrastructure and operations. It's, I, think of, I think of that person always as very broad-shouldered. They're right. running all of operations. They have a huge budget. They're managing all these vendors, and when the network goes down, it's their fault. And when you get your 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 you know uh, device or your tablet the very first day you you join the company and it works wonderfully it's due it's to his or her credit and I have to say his because nine percent of IT executives are women by the way mm. nine so wow. I'm going to say his because I'm probably right although of course there are wonderful uh, female technology leaders you know in every industry but CTO in that context means infrastructure and ops, you know, operations, right. broad shoulders, Tactical. keeping things running. Tactical. Then you go into another company, and CTO means something completely different. It's advanced technology. It's what's coming down the pike. It's the new, new thing. It's new product development. You know, the, C the, the head of infrastructure and operations may support all of that development, but those are two completely different roles. When you have a startup company, say a Zynga or a Groupon or one of these cool new startup companies in Silicon Valley, it's often the CTO whose idea even occasioned the company. It was the right. CTO who went to the VCs to even get the funding. Well, that's got nothing in common with the infrastructure and operations person way down in the plumbing of the organization. And then, Chicky, I'm going to give you one more meaning of CTO, which is, of course, something completely different. If you take a technology-driven company that's very engineering-oriented, say telecom or maybe even in pharma, you might have a chief technology officer that's actually even one step up from the CIO. This is the person who's really running technology engineering, which is actually the product that the company is selling. So you've got right. everything from a real support role to a real innovation role to a role that is all about product and engineering. Those are three completely different positions. They're all called CTO. Got, got it. So is, is my... Uh kind of leap in thinking on, on the COO and CEO role similar in that, you know, by and large, CTO is is tactical in getting the job done, and CIO must be that more forward-thinking, you know, looking out for what's happening competitively, uh, looking out for what tools are available. Would that be a, yeah. a valid... Uh, I, I think that's a very valid analogy, and the way I would phrase it is the CIO is responsible for the governance of IT, the business of IT, the relationships, the strategy, being at the executive committee, the finance. The CTO is much more hands-on, deep technologist. The CIO is going to have more business skills than technology skills. The uh, CTO yeah. is going to have more technology skills than business skills. Got it. So you started out talking about uh, the damned if you do and damned if you don't part of being <laughs> yeah. a CIO and clearly having just come off the economic crisis where there was so much belt tightening and layoffs and deferred 
projects, um, you know, that this whole issue of how do you become competitive and start growing again, there has to be innovation. Uh, so you've got the cost versus innovation uh, paradox, which is kind of the first one I'd like you to talk about. Sure. So the, uh, thanks for asking. The, the, the analogy there, you know, so I, I was uh, chatting with a pharmaceutical executive who told me it cost $4 billion for a drug to make it to market. And I thought, well, that's an awful lot of money. Wow. But the, pro- the process is, uh, you know, you build in waste. There's waste, sanctioned spaces for waste and failure in an R&D process because how can you innovate if you are so tight that you can't make a mistake? When you're really innovating, you have to build in opportunities for failure. However, CIOs have no extra budget for failure. They have no opportunity for failure. Their budgets are very tight. Their operations must be secure, must be cost-effective. Their teams have to be always thinking, we're an armored tank. We're not going to let any risk into this infrastructure. We're going to run this as efficiently, as effectively as possible. We're going to drive out cost. Now, all of a sudden, CIOs are being looked to to say, oh, yeah, by the way, while you're you know looking in and down, we also need you to look up and out. While you're right. while you're saying, you know, not on my watch, you also have to be saying, by all means, let's try it. And that's yeah. kind of a an you know, an ambidexterity that can be very challenging for CIOs who grew up in a more traditional role. So that cost versus versus innovation paradox has always been challenging. But to your point, we've had this recession where there's been an underinvestment in IT, the legacy situation, so these technologies that have to be retired that can't keep up with with the new mobile applications and standards, they're sitting there, they're expensive. It costs a huge amount of money to replace those to get to this new, new thing. Business uh, uh, customers, many of whom are uh, listening to this uh, uh, show today, are thinking, where's my widget? Where's my app? Where's my customer-facing uh, uh, product? Where's my tablets? But what they're not understanding is there's been about a five-year delay in even investing in the platforms that need to run all of these things. That is a rock and a hard place that the CIO sits right between. Right. So then you also mentioned the whole issue of, of operations versus strategy. And I'd like you to, to separate your comments here. Uh, as I mentioned in my introduction to you before we got on the phone, uh, my, my industry is the service industry, and it's the travel industry, and it is one of the most technology-driven industries and has we've had electronic commerce in the travel industry since, uh, you know, the mid-70s uh, when I got in the industry. And so we rely on technology and, and infrastructure to make it seamless to the consumer, you know, to, to book vendors all over the world and, and to travel, you know, here and there. And, you know, anybody who's been at an airline counter when the systems go down, you know, knows how devastating that can be. But so talk to me first about companies that, rely on technology or technology is the business itself? 
So I, so the I operations the, versus strategy paradox. Sure. So I love the that you brought in airlines. I uh, listened to an absolutely wonderful talk by Monty Ford, who was the CIO of American Airlines for many years, and he talked about the fact that we're not just in the business of flying planes. We're in the hospitality business. We're in the laundry business. We're in the entertainment business. We're in the food service business. <laughs> right? We're in the equipment maintenance business. An airline has massive, massive operations, and not one piece of it can go down because the entire operation will fail. And we've all been in that position where one little piece of technology doesn't work and, you know, something happens with our entire travel plan. Uh, Those CIOs are, are so focused on keeping operations up and running that they do not have the bandwidth to turn and also be strategic and also say, okay, where are we taking this company? Because their operations uh, responsibility is so significant. So, you know, uh, uh, you know, I'm an executive recruiter, and, and one of my roles is to place these CIOs in their roles. And at the beginning of the interview process, I will ask all of the executive committee around the table, many of whom are your listeners today, well, what do you want to see in a CIO? And they say, we want someone who can move us forward. We want someone who can move the dial. We want somebody who can come in and be strategic. But what these right. executives don't understand is what the shape of their infrastructure is actually in and how much care and feeding it needs just just to get it up to an operationally, uh, you know, uh, sufficient level. So a year later, the CEO and we'll look around at the other executives and say, you know, our CIO hasn't been very strategic. We wanted them to be strategic, <laughs> but they're not. But they've spent the last year working on the networks, getting it up to an acceptable level. When right. I take, I have about 16 paradoxes, and I take them. And I, I've, spent, I've put them in front of CIOs at conferences and to, to the tune of about 500 CIOs. And I say to them, check the three paradoxes that really hit you where you live. This operations versus strategy, every single time comes up in the top three. So this one is very real to, to those CIOs out there. Right, right. Well, that makes complete and total sense. And, and again, I mean, I can't even imagine uh, being the one interviewing for that job and then coming in and finding out that not only do you uh, need to upgrade, you actually need to, like, uh, take the bubble gum and, and bailing wire out of some of, some of that, the infrastructure. That, that's exactly right. And what I would say is, you know, every executive position is challenging. I'm not in any way saying, woe is the CIO whose life is so tough. It's more, it is a matter of, uh, uh, you know, industry impact, industry success. It's our economy. It's our ability to be a productive, successful uh, uh, global industry. That's what's at stake. It's not, poor, you know, woe is the CIO, poor guy or woman. You know, let's really pity them. It's we all need to understand how critical and how paradoxical this IT role is because you're talking about trillions of dollars in the end right. being put into the into the technology industry and are we really uh, 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 you know conceptualizing the, the leadership role in order to make to make the most of that right right so let's uh, talk briefly about the global paradox because we yes. do live in a global economy some companies are more global than others but uh, once you are on the internet you can't help but be exposed uh, you know to being a global company whether you transact online or you simply share information uh, so what does the, what is the leadership characteristic that is necessary to be able to handle that global paradox? 
you know, I, it was interesting because before I wrote the chapter, I would mm-hmm. have said it's it's uh, uh, communication. You know, that one of the paradoxes, when I got into the global, parad- global paradox chapter, I just kept coming up with more and more paradoxes, and that's how I ended up structuring, structuring <laughs> that paradoxes. There, there, there were sub-paradoxes, exactly, and, and one of them uh, is, this is global paradox number three, as your need to communicate increases, your ability to communicate decreases. <laughs> so, you know, you are, you are sort of at the home office, and it is incredibly important that your Asia-PAC team feels as involved in your team and in your programs and in your business as your folks down the street from you or, or your folks in Europe. Um, it's incredibly important, and yet your ability to communicate with those people naturally decreases over global lines. You've got time zones. You've got cultures. Uh, you know, so I would have said uh, uh, communication, and, of course, that continues to be a critical piece. But there's another piece. Another attribute, leadership attribute, that I I found was critically important to the CIO role across the book, across the paradoxes, but particularly in the global uh, context, and that is patience. You know, everybody is saying, okay, usually what happens is a CIO comes on board. It's a company that's regionalized. It's fragmented. You've got, a, you know, uh, European operations. You've got Latin American operations. You've got North American operations, Asia Pac, but it's not really a global company. You don't have global standards. You don't have global processes. So the CIO is told, globalize, make us global. Well, saying, you know, that's an incredibly... A slow <laughs> process, and one of the u- real unique, uh, unique findings, something I, a nuance that I just didn't know about until I researched this book, is that there are alliances that happen between the president, the country president of a company, and the IT leader in that in that country. So let's say it's right. your Latin American, your head of Latin American business ops and your head of Latin American IT, they have alliances. And just mm-hmm. you coming in and saying, I'm the global CIO, and you IT, you report to me now, and now we're global, <laughs> you will not win that way. You have to no. understand each of these relationships, and they're vastly different all over the globe. So if you take all of those CIO paradoxes and you add global, it, you know, it, it's, a, it's a, heady, a heady spot to be in. <laughs> Definitely. Well, I heard a phrase this morning. I, uh, as I mentioned, I, I was on this long drive from Miami back to Tampa, and, and uh, I've taken to listening to TED talks because they're they're yeah. so engaging. They make the time pass. And one of them was talking about um, some mammoth task, and he said, you know, it would be like asking someone to go swallow the sun. <laughs> I oh, thought, I like that. that. Yeah, that is. So appropriate to the command. I usually, to go I usually use. Uh, I love it. I usually use boil the ocean, but I like yes. swallow the sun. I'm going to have to switch it up a little bit. So let's let's shift now from from the role of the CIO to the people that you're serving, the stakeholders uh, in the organization, which clearly can be the leadership team that has to keep the machine running, literally. Um, It can be the investors. It can be the board of directors, those people, um, you know, who you have to please. And at the end of the day, the business has to be profitable or it won't be around. So, you know, no matter what you do, again, this damned if you do and damned if you don't kind of carries through. So will they ever love what you have done? Will they ever be happy? Will it ever be enough? 
And so there are three paradoxes, and I, I'm going to mention all three of them up mm-hmm. front, and I'm going to let you uh, just kind of navigate through them. The first one okay. is the futurist versus the archivist mm-hmm. paradox. Mm-hmm. The second mm-hmm. is the IT and the business mm-hmm. paradox. And the third is the accountability versus ownership paradox. Mm-hmm. So, I'm again, I'm going to let you weave those together because they sure. do all uh, sit in this category of, of pleasing your stakeholders. They they really do. And, Chicky, just to uh, uh, even complicate things more, I'm going to add another one, that another paradox that isn't, you know, a formal one uh, as one of the chapters, but it permeates uh, the entire book, and it's this. As CIO, your many successes are invisible. Your few mistakes are highly visible. So uh, one of my CIOs in my book, Gare Ramlet, who is the CIO of Bechtel, he said it this way, as CIO, you're like the goalie. Nobody knows your name until you let one by. So <laughs> right. when, you're sitting at, when you're sitting at the executive table and the head of the, you know, one of the business units says, well, we've had a 30% increase in, our, uh, in market share in my business, and you know, the head of sales said, well, we've closed you know, 27 new accounts this quarter, the CIO says, you know, well, nothing broke. And that's, you know, a, right. a tough spot. <laughs> it, when, when your service is invisible, like a utility, you know, you don't praise your uh, uh, electricity company when the lights turn on in the morning. And that's a similar situation that CIOs find themselves in. So to kind of weave a, through a, a few of these uh, paradoxes, you know, the IT and the business paradox, as CIO you are intimately connected with every aspect of the business. You have a horizontal view of the business. There is no part of the business you don't have some accountability for, and yet CIOs are often not a member of the executive committee. They report to the CFO. They're one layer down. They only right. hear about they hear about the big strategy in a trickle down derivative way. They don't have an opportunity to shape the strategy. So how does a company? And I'm going to say this to all of your readers because your readers or listeners rather, because many of your listeners may well have a hand in, in structuring the executive committee. How do you take technology, which is probably your biggest budget? It is absolutely uh, critical to your operations. It can be your, your next market opportunity. It can also be your critical risk factor. How do you put that role a rung down from the executive committee? 45% of CIOs report to CFOs rather than being right a part of the CEO's inner circle. And I think that's a major, major challenge, for, not just for the CIO, but for their companies. So I'm just going to extend that to the right. accountability. Right, you know, I mean, yeah, but it's also carryover back to when technology wasn't central to who companies are. You know, again, whether you're a technology company or a service company or a manufacturer, um, you know, you it doesn't run without technology, but we have shifted so much um, to the role that technology plays in the company, but the position hasn't elevated and and that recognition is what you're saying. That that's right. There's a lag. There's a suddenly. I mean, this uh, to my mind, I thought the digital revolution that we experienced in the late '90s and early uh, 2000s was the big one. But I think that was just foundational for what's happening right now. I mean, mobility is not changing how companies do do business. It's changing the business companies are in. I mean, I talked right. to uh, just a couple of uh, of examples of this. 
I talked to the CIO of a large agricultural equipment company, you know, those huge machines that dig up farms, and uh, he's the CIO, and what he's doing is developing information, analytics to give to customers so they understand their usage of these machines. That's going to be a revenue-producing product for them. So a big equipment machinery company is a technology company now. I mean, that's that's very recent. Another example is my... Uh, you know, my teenage daughter can wait in line, you know, can can order a pair of expensive designer jeans, design them herself on her phone while she's waiting in line, by the way, to buy another expensive item for, from a different store. <laughs> and, of course, she sends me the bill for both of these things, of course. But, um, right. you know, uh, I talked to an insurance CIO where all she had ever done in her career was do back office claims processing systems, you know, payroll systems, back office. She's devi- designing pedometer applications so that customers can track their biofeedback when they exercise. You're talking about retail, insurance, and you know, equipment manufacturing, all of which are now technology companies. So, yes, 10 years ago, the CIO did not need to be in the executive suite. Today, it's a whole different story, and all those stakeholders need to understand that. Right, right. So uh, that that must lead us into the futurist versus the archivist, Mm -hmm. because looking forward and and having an R&D budget and, and really thinking about what's impossible, and all you have to do is listen to a couple of TED Talks and you can get completely blown away by by the possibilities that, that face us if we just are free to look at them. And and I think that that's the other paradox and constraint that they're facing. It's the freedom, right? Freedom only exists when you're not dragging behind you old technology that can't support all of these new and exciting applications. And that, you know, if I were going to sort of, if I were going to to pull the entire CIO paradox down to one element uh, that is most, uh, what is the word I'm thinking of, prevalent in this, where we are right now, is futurist versus archivist. Every CIO, unless you're a brand new startup like today, Every CIO is facing massive, massive legacy, but the demands to run new things on top of that legacy is very challenging. Now, you know, we can talk a lot about problems, but, you know, when we move to solutions, there's all sorts of technical solutions to the legacy problem, but from a skill, from a leadership, that CIO has to get very, very good at learning to sell the board, sell the stakeholders, sell all of your listeners on infrastructure improvements. It's like when my husband says, we have to spend $18,000 to to redo our roof. And I think, but I can't host a cocktail party on our roof. I can't entertain friends on our roof. Why on earth would we put our money into something invisible? And he says, because, you know, we don't want, you know, the rain to come through the roof. And I think, you know, he he sold me on that, but he kind of had to work hard, to be honest. And that's the the role CIOs find themselves in. They have to be able to sell your listeners on how important it is to actually upgrade that ERP, which will not result in an ounce of... And, and being able to actually drive change and, and to influence change. Absolutely. You know, the, the as as CIO, you... You know, you can take corporate strategy, business strategy, 
align technology strategy to it, making sure that what you're delivering in IT perfectly matches uh, what uh, what is happening in you know in, in terms of the business goals. And most CIOs have that down. The challenge is in getting the business. So let's say we're going to do a new customer relationship management system. Well. A big part of that is software. A responsibility, it's technology. they got a bunch of project managers over there. They'll just roll out the CRM, and one day we'll wake up, and it'll be installed, and we'll use it, and it'll be great. Well, that's not at all what should happen. What should happen is there needs to be a business executive with a CRM, probably somebody in sales or marketing, who says, this is my project. I own this project. The CIO and the IT organization are important partners to me. But really, this is my project, and when the project succeeds, I take the credit. You know, obviously, we share the credit, but in terms of really hard, if the project fails, I take the heat. The vast majority of cases, when a project fails, an IT project fails, the CIO gets fired. And it really shouldn't be that way. It's supposed to be a, a, a partnership in leading these programs. But as one CIO said to me, getting the business to do their part in leading IT projects is like pushing a rope. Mm. Or another CIO, another CIO said her boss used to say there are two, kind, there are two kinds of projects, business successes and IT failures. Oh my and goodness. <laughs> but I mean and it's you know and there's humor in there and one of the things I love about CIOs is how much humor they do use when when thinking about their jobs but the fact is if technology investments strategy and and and, and programs and projects are not considered by every member of the business to be something they have ownership of, they have responsibility for, they won't be successful. The accountability versus ownership paradox means as CIO, I have accountability for this, but I'm not supposed to own it. I'm supposed to lead from behind, get someone else to lead while I'm pulling all the strings. That's a tough one. Accountability without authority that's never a fun place to be. No, no, not at all. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk sure. about uh, the staff. Because, okay. you know, a leader is only as good as the team that they can put together. And, and, again, assuming that they have those leadership skills to actually get everybody moving in the right direction, you know, give them the tools they need. So you, you have three different paradoxes that you've outlined in the staff section. One is, is about recruiting the next is about, uh, and you've alluded several times to, to different enterprise architecture mm-hmm. components, and then uh, the whole issue of finding a successor. Sure. So I'll start with the root. Let me put Chicky. When I wrote this for this chapter on recruiting, I had to send it around to a true, few trusted advisors to ask if I sounded like I was yelling at everybody. And what they told me is, they said, "Oh no, Martha, for you." it sounds as though you're practicing restraint. And I didn't really know how to take that for for me. But anyway, you know, I run a recruiting that makes sense. Yes. Um, And the paradox is this. You know, CIOs are experts at business process change. They take a process and they say, how can we do this more better, cheaper, with more value, with less steps, and that's their best thing. I would wager that only... I'm going to say like literally 3% of CIOs have taken that business process reengineering lens to their recruiting organization, to how they actually recruit. Here's another paradox. They need, CIOs need, you know, executives 
and directors and VPs with ex an exceptional skill set, a very challenging skill set uh, in terms of business skills and technology skills. They often don't go together in one person. These wonderful, wonderful candidates do not fall out of trees. In fact, the demand for them far outweighs the supply. And yet, I see CIOs run these recruiting processes that are filled with waste, with lag, so that when we could have brought them a candidate, where they could have just hired him right away, by the time they get their act together, that candidate has three other offers, and they often lose the candidate. So oh, it's wow. my, that chapter is really my plea to CIOs saying, you need these people, and your talent pool, it's not that it's not growing, it's shrinking. The talent market for good technologists who have business skills is shrinking right now, and you're acting, CIOs, like you can pluck them off of trees, but you can't. You've got to get better at the way you recruit these people because it's not just that your role in your company relies on it. I have to say, as a citizen of the world, personally, having nothing to do with recruiting or writing this book, it makes me nervous that how the, the how large the gap between demand and supply is when it comes to good people. And I think the myth well, you mentioned myth busting before the myth is the recession has created a glut and there's talent ripe for the picking sitting on the streets. It's not true when it comes to technology roles. So that's the recruiting uh, paradox. I can move on. Why don't yes. I talk about the other ones? I don't want to uh, talk over you though. Oh no, no, just uh keep keep rolling. I mean I, okay. I think that ties closely to the successor paradox. Uh, it it really it, it really does. So here's the successor paradox. I ask every CIO I speak to and I speak to literally like hundreds and hundreds of CIOs a year each year. And I ask them do you have a successor? Do you have somebody, if you moved on tomorrow, who could fill your role? And some of them say, nah, they're a couple years away. Some of them say yes right away. But all of them acknowledge it is their responsibility and it is something they're actively engaged in developing their successor. And yet, it is fewer than 10% of the time in Fortune 500 companies that CEOs actually honor that succession plan. So here I am, a CIO, I'm raising my next generation, I'm developing them, giving them the skills, and yet the uh, CEO says thanks but no thanks and goes out and brings in a new right. CIO. Now, for those of us in the search business, that's wonderful news. But in terms of um, industry, you know, technology is a long-term investment. Technology programs take a long time for you to really see, did you make the right decisions? Did we get the fruits of this labor? If you're turning over your CIO every couple of years and you're not having any continuity in terms of, you know, institutional intelligence because you're always bringing them in from the outside, each new CIO has to do an archaeological dig to go back through all the technology decisions that had been made years before. I mean, th think of think of a yacht or 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 a ocean liner that should be making a beeline from, you know, North America to Europe and instead is uh uh making twists and turns through the entire trip. It's going to take an right. awful long time to get there. Right. So, you know, that kind of begs the question uh, that the last part of the book addresses, which is, you know, what's really next for the CIO? You know, what, what did they aspire to? So I asked each uh, person I interviewed uh, for, this, for this interview, each CIO, in 10 years, 
it is likely that somebody else will be in your role. And they all seemed very happy about that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> they said, oh, good, I'm ready to retire. But uh, but I said, you know, how will the next, how will your successor's role in ten years? So that was our time frame. Be different from your own? And they gave me a whole range of answers, and I included, you know, I grouped them together into different kinds of roles. But if I could distill all of that into two very clear career paths for for the for CIOs and really for the evolution of the role, it would be these. For the operationally oriented CIOs who run operations, they run them really well. Their innovation comes in the form of running their operations better and better. So their innovation is around process, not product or or business model. It's process. Those people, the evolution of the role will be to become the chief shared services officer, as IT becomes outsourced more and more, and it's really about vendor management and partner management, well, that yeah. executive then has a little bandwidth to run HR and run legal and run facilities and run some of these other sh- services that the rest of the company shares. So CIOs now, when they think about what's next for me, well, there are all sorts of possibilities, but one new role I believe will be chief shared services officer, whether it is called that formally or not. So that's one. The other path, you know, is more about those CIOs where it is about innovation for them. It is about product development and getting right into the revenue stream of the company and business model innovation and creativity and vision and the new, new thing. Those people are in the catbird seat because if you are a business executive and you are an innovator and you are a leader and you understand the drivers of the business and you have deep technology skills, you are a rare bird and you are going to be incredibly important to our future and you're going to have a significant impact on our future. You're going to lead businesses. You're going to lead R&D teams. You're going to develop whole new suites of products that are going to reinvent your company. If you can... You know, have what it takes to be in that role, you're going to have a view of technology, people, business, customers, behavior that rivals any other executive, and you are, are likely to have a very uh, exciting role. Right, and you also talk about corporate boards. So is this a role that they can play, of actually playing an active role on the board of another company, or were you talking about the board uh, of their own company? I'm talking about another board, sort of a paid directorship on the board of directors of another company. Got so it. The, parad- the paradox here is, you know, technology today can be a company's market differentiator, but it could also really bring a company to its knees. I mean, we could cite numerous examples of companies that have gotten uh, uh, major hits in the market because they've had uh, public uh, data security breaches. Right, we could roll that. We could roll those off the tongue, um, and and yet, they, the com- corporate boards very very rarely appoint CIOs. So when the chief security officer of the company comes in and says, "Okay, here's how we have recovered from our security breach," there's nobody on the board to ask the right question. Right. From a technical perspective, to say, well, what about redundancy? What about that remote data center that you've got, you know, in uh, Omaha? What about, you know, the companies 
just as we were talking, Chicky, earlier about, well, this is kind of a lag, a holdover from when technology wasn't strategic, wait, you know, right. years ago. I think you're seeing that lag on the boards, too. And I think technology innovation, which brings us to global risk, which brings us to security issues and compliance right. issues and connectedness, we don't we're moving quickly here. We don't have the time for some sort of generational lag to catch up to us. Right. Well, I'll tell you uh, one other thing, and, and you, you may address this in your book, but uh, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I happen to also be uh, a specific, uh, a very specific resource to the investment community as it relates to my subject matter expertise in the travel industry. And one of the things that I have enjoyed the most over the last 10 years is being brought in uh, and typically it's by the large private equity companies, um, you know, to look at M&A opportunities. And uh, typically, you know, I will bring in uh, as a part of my team, you know, like the former CIO of Delta Airlines or the former, uh, you know, CTO or CIO of, of Sabre, which was uh, originally founded by by American. And, yeah. and so working side by side with those people in a consulting role where they're using all of that expertise and, you know, helping, uh, you know, the major finance companies who are, are you know, really changing the face of, of many industries uh, these days, you know, the private equity community has totally changed the face of the travel industry. And, uh, you know, it, they couldn't have done it without the CIOs uh, coming in as consultants because, you know, they were the ones who knew all the right questions to, to ask and, you know, where the bubble gum and, and uh, bailing wire was, was being hidden uh, in right. some of these companies. That's right. And, uh, you know, this is in a magazine on this very topic. I called it the... Uh, uh, private equity operating partner and a wonderful role for CIOs. Now, these are tough gigs to get, but they're wonderful right. roles are where you're actually a part of the private equity team. You're not right. a deal part, you're not on the deal team. You're on the operating team and it is your responsibility to go in with the uh private equity, you know, practice directors and do due diligence on exactly. the potential acquisition and then once the uh property has been acquired to go in and do some IT leadership to make sure, you know, Often Definitely. private equity focuses on the financial structure of the company and on the business operations of the company, but boy, those IT operations are awfully expensive, and it's in yes. private equity's best interest to get a handle on that. Definitely, but you know, I think that yeah. that, uh, that opportunity, and you know, if you've been a corporate CIO your whole career, you know, perhaps moving into that entrepreneurial role of of doing things on contract, uh, you know, is a bit of a leap because, um, you know, it doesn't have the same sense of security, but the, the rewards and the variety are amazing. And, and for the most part, you don't have the politics. So I, I think it could be a refreshing change for someone who, you know, has, has been in that corporate role for a long time and is, and is a bit weary. And you talked about that earlier. So how do you break the paradoxes? How do you really come out on the front of this? Well, I think that in you know when I uh I remember I was uh just when I was in the middle of writing the book, I had an opportunity to see a CIO, a really wonderful CIO, a guy named Tom Murphy at Amerisource Bergen just give a fantastic talk 
uh, about uh, his IT organization, and I mentioned Monty Ford at American Airlines, who gave really a breathtaking keynote about being the CIO of American. And, and I thought to myself, oh, I know. The way you break the paradox is you have to be really awesome. That was, and then I thought, but I can't just write a whole book on that, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I think it comes down to, uh, you know, let me let me back up and say, as I was doing these interviews with successful CIOs in a variety of companies, industries, size companies, I noticed that regardless of the particular paradox we were talking about or the particular relationship building, but right. there were some that were a little more surprising. For example. We talked about the IT and the business paradox, the way IT is considered something other than the business. You kind of throw it over the wall to IT. That is not a good thing. One way to break that paradox is to take some of the good things you're doing in IT, a project management methodology, a strategic planning approach, an approach to leadership development, pick it up and extend it beyond the, the to the enterprise so that your leadership development program becomes the enterprise leadership development program. The way you manage IT projects becomes the way the company manages projects. So one attribute or, or skill that I see CIOs who have broken the paradox be able to do is to take the good things they're doing in IT and then make them company-wide. Suddenly, it's not about IT and the business anymore. It's just about do, you know, doing good technology. So that's one, reach beyond IT. Another that I alluded to briefly is have patience. See, you know, a new project comes along, it gets funded, everybody wants to move, move, move. The technology team wants to select vendors, the, uh, the CIO wants to prove him or herself, let's go, we've got deadlines. However, if you don't set the project up correctly, get the right stakeholders involved, get the business leaders, manage expectations, you will fail. As one of my CIOs in my book said, projects are won or lost at the beginning. If you don't set it up correctly, you're oh, going to fail. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. So one of the attributes on that breaking the paradox checklist is cultivate patience. I don't know that senior executives ever stop and think, one of the things I do best is be patient and instill patience in the people around me because the, the converse is so compelling, which is to move, move, move. So those are just a couple of items. Well, Martha, you have just given uh, you know so much insight into the importance of of this uh, I will say underappreciated role in <laughs> in most companies and you know I see this because I'm a consultant and I quite often uh, you know come in playing a general contractor role in in very large projects um, that you're you're absolutely right that that planning piece up front is so important and you do have to be patient because you know. There's so much opportunity that you really do need to take your time to, you know, to, uh, what the word I'm looking for is, you know, using methodology and, and methodically, right. that's, that's where I was going, is methodically, you know, going in and, and seeing what the uh, key success points are going to be. And I, I think you've given us uh, so much food for thought and those uh, people who are listening to the show um, you know, who are in other executive roles hopefully have come away uh, with a greater appreciation and can extend a hand and, and reach. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I, uh, I think it was, was it Hillary Clinton who wrote It Takes a Village? 
I think so. It takes a village to raise a child, and it takes a, real, a village to run IT. And when you right. leave all of it, when you leave all of it to the CIO, CIO, you may not love to live in the village that you've created. <laughs> exactly. Well, Martha, can you share with our listeners um, how they can learn more about you as a recruiter, and if if they have a need for uh, an amazing CIO that already knows how to to break all these paradoxes, how they would get in touch with you? Sure. Chicky, that's my favorite question. I would love to <laughs> answer that question. Um, sure. My my website is hellersearch.com. You'll find everything you need to know about the firm and uh, and also how to contact me. We have something at Heller Search called the Heller Report that goes out every week. It's a very, very, very brief newsletter that really, you know, interesting articles that we've seen on the CIO role. Often CIOs, our own readers, will say, I just read the most amazing book that all CIOs should read. And right. we circulate that, and it's a great way to stay, to get in our network and to stay in our network. So that uh, the ability to, to subscribe to that is on hellersearch.com as well. Well, it has been really terrific to you and my, my voice is uh, failing me a little bit here at the end, but I just thank you for spending so much time to give us these insights. And again, Martha's book is called The CIO Paradox. Those who are members of the Executive Girlfriends group, there is a link on our site where you can order Martha's book and uh, where you can also get in touch with her if you'd like to speak with her. Uh, we just thank everybody for joining us today, and uh, we will not have a show next Friday, but please join us uh, the Friday after that. So, Martha, thank you so much, and I hope you have a great weekend. Same to you, Chicky. This was a pleasure. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.